You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, makers of PV cell software. Hello and welcome to Solar Insiders, our regularly fortnightly solar podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me is Nigel Morris, solar industry veteran and analyst with um, Solar Analytics. How are you, man? Terrific. Thanks, Giles. How are you this week? I'm very well, thank you. Do you, do you like my new sound and the new microphone? Mate, we're, we're, we're going to take over um, the airwaves, clearly, with our professionalism. What I'm you did t- finish your peanut butter sandwich, didn't I you? Did, I did finish my peanut butter sandwich. And, and you've I'm got also, shoes on. And I've got, well, I've got slippers on, actually. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're, t- we're, we're titling this episode The Year My Voice Broke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have cut my, my new sort of bass thing. And, um, yes, <laughs> I hope I can just sort of, you know, fly up the uh, rankings of the sexiest solar podcast voices <laughs> to get up um, to near your levels, Nigel. I mean, it's become, you know, it's become... Um, yeah, it's become extraordinary. It's a thing. Come on, let's get on with it. What, what do we got? We've got lots to get through this week, haven't we? Oh, look, yes. But the most exciting thing might be the fact that you went to a government regulatory conference. Now, I don't know why that would be exciting, but you have sent me a note about it. So <laughs> you better tell me and I'm going to use that as a bit of a flick on to something else important about solar. So you went to a government con- conference about regulations and I, you got excited? So I did. I did. And, and, you know, so I got invited to a, a, a regulators conference. Now, that's the type of event where you go, oh, dear, this, this might not be the most exciting conference I've ever been to. But let me tell you it was surprisingly excellent and why? I, I learned an, I learned an awful lot um, is why um, firstly um, there are between 60 and 100 different regulators in Australia uh, something in that order and it was actually the first time they'd ever all met in one event believe it or not so you know that was cool in itself um, regulators from all sorts of different areas and different departments and everything else but what was really interesting was they used two case studies of how to try to regulate in a more collaborative way, if you like. One was um, a case study about how they introduced Uber in uh, the ACT uh, very, very rapidly, which would have typically taken years, but they had it done in incredible short time. They did a, gave a great case study example of how they dealt with that. And the second one was about solar fraud. And that's why I was there, because the clean energy regulator has a program um, uh, that they've been piloting called the Solar Panel Serial Number Validation Trial. And that is all about validating that panels are genuine. And it's a wonderful thing that the industry has been calling for for ages. And the Clean Energy Regulator has been wonderful in its adaptability and flexibility and collaboration. Um, so, you know, good on the regulators. What really blew me away, actually, was that these... These, there was a room with almost 200 people, guys and girls, all very, very keen to work with industry to reduce barriers, but to ensure that things are done well and done safely. And um, that blew my mind. Um, I told them that. I said, you know, it's not what I was expecting. Well, that's good to hear, actually. There's some good people out there. Look, we do know that there's good people out there, but I guess a lot of it, you know, when you, when you talk to some of the people in the big utilities and some of the pe- other people in the big companies, there's a lot of really good people out there, but just sort of changing the inertia of these organisations, it's like trying yeah. to turn around a super tanker. But That's um, the key. That's the key. A, a shout-out for those good people in those organisations trying to do the right thing. 
Um, why would on I the topic? Hey, you know, you and know? there were a couple of a couple of listeners there. A couple of people bailed me up afterwards and said, "We well, listen to the podcast every two weeks. It's fantastic." fantastic. So there you go. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to have to give you a t-shirt so you can hand them out at the same time. <laughs> Good. <laughs> or a pair of my slippers. slippers. Um, <laughs> the Charles Parkinson Memorial slippers, I love it. Exactly, exactly. Um, look, while we're on the issue of regulations, look, a couple of things um, are emerging, and I think it's worth noting. Um, mm. Big, A lot of big reports came out last week, all in one day, and I get really annoyed when institutions drop everything important all at the same time. It's as though they're trying to sort of confuse what's going on. Um, I want to make mention of a particular report, a joint report by AEMO, the Energy Market Operator, and the Energy Networks Australia. What they're trying to do is trying to sort of, you know, get a lasso around distributed energy, which includes rooftop solar and battery storage and um, demand management and everything, and try and control it. And um, I understand what they're talking about because it's good to get visibility on the system to be able to manage that and pull the resources and we're talking about aggregated systems and virtual power plants and all that's very good Mm -hmm. but it's interesting they've introduced this concept about how they want to um, get a bit of a register and get a controller so they want a a distributed systems controller or Mm. um, orchestrator and now that could either be something to do with the networks themselves it could be AEMO or it could be an independent body Um, it's going to be one to watch because, look, it's great. They do recognise, and I think AEMO is quite on board, that they're, they're predicting that by as early as the 2030s, nearly half or 45% of our electricity is going to come from distributed energy, which is just like the most amazing development and sort of quite against everything that we've become used to over the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see the regulations that are put on top of that to sort of... Because at the moment, most of this is behind the meter and is largely invisible. So as they mm. make that visible and control it, it's going to be interesting to see who gets to do that mm. and what they do with that power. It's the next big wave, isn't it? Because, you know, they're starting to see the benefits and the advantages. I, I read a great story that uh, was up on your site today about using um, uh, battery storage, amongst other things, as um, you know, a mechanism to um, do demand management and to do frequency control. And clearly, the experiments are all working out there, and they can see that this is this is actually going to work. It's not just some what is it, a lefty pipe dream? Our friend Craig Kelly called you the hero of or something. But anyway, it does work. And what will be interesting to see is how they strike the balance between leveraging all the benefits that are available, providing rewards, but not taking so much control that um, consumers don't get the benefit of the democratisation of energy. Indeed, indeed. And look, there's another thing um, emerging in the National Energy Guarantee, and we're writing a story this week about this. um, And this is about the treatment of rooftop solar under the National Energy uh, Guarantee. Um, Mm. It's quite extraordinary. Um, Last week, the AEMC, in one of those major reports that came out on the same day, did a bit of an about-face. If you think about the AEMC, they used to sort of... Um, that you know, think that rooftop solar was some sort of you know horrendous assault on the um, on on the utility business and um, a real pest, which it, which it probably is if you're a utility and you're seeing rooftop solar coming. Um, this in, this review that they did was actually quite interesting. It just showed that um, how the consumer distrust of utilities has grown to unprecedented levels. Mm. U- energy utilities worse are now than trusted. banks, worse than banks, worse <laughs> than insurers, and that's one of the big reasons why everyone's turning to solar and um, mm. battery storage, and then. We'll do electric vehicles and, and everything. So that was an interesting um, um, observation from the AEMC and a bit of a change in the tune of what they've said in pre- 
previous years. But one of the things about the National Energy Guarantee that they're proposing is that the effort, a lot of people have put rooftop solar on their roofs, um, not just because of the financial benefits, but because they're a bit sick of what's happening around the country, um, particularly with the energy policies and things like that. And they said, well, look, if you guys are not going to reduce um, emissions, we're going to do it. And so when people put rooftop solar on the roof, effectively those reductions in emissions that they cause are additional to the national target. Now, what the National Energy Guarantee is proposing to do is to actually include them in the national target. So basically, your retailer will be able to tap into your rooftop solar PV and the output that you send back to the grid, claim that as a credit, and use that to sort of help meet what is already a pretty low target. Mm. So basically... Now, from we moving from the point where people putting rooftop solar on um, was additional and actually increased the ambition of the country, now it's going to actually be part of that same thing, so it's not going to be additional. And I think that's a major problem and, and, and a real question about equity and fairness on this. And surely, I mean, the benefit of solar going on the roof... Uh, has already been traded in the form of the SDCs, surely. I don't see how they have the right to claim it as an additional benefit beyond the SDCs, and the STCs are already taken into account. Yeah, I know, I know. Look, it's, it's sort of, mm. it's sort of you know, it does your brain in when you're starting to think about this and sort of mm. what sort of accounting and double accounting is going on here. Um, mm. But I'm a little bit wary of anything that lets sort of utilities and other people off lightly. Mm. Um, it's already one of the major issues of the National Energy Guarantee is that... Um, schemes like the ACT, which is fantastic, 100% renewables, but they made sure it was additional and over and above the federal target because they, 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 they um, dumped all the uh, certificates, so they didn't claim mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Under the National Energy Guarantee, they won't be able to do that. There's actually no mechanism to do that. So that's one of the things they're going to have to correct um, before they release it, if, you know, if that's possible. Interesting. Mm. Now, look, let's move on to some more happy news. Um, mm. Martin Green, um, from oh, Martin the guy from Green. Dr. Martin Green from mm. the um, UNSW, mm. um, won a fantastic award a couple of weeks ago, um, Global Energy Prize, and he even beat Elon Musk from Tesla to it. Um, a fantastic recognition from one of the great men of the solar industry. In fact, a solar hero. Solar hero, uh, genuine solar pioneer, um, you know, inventor um, with his team of many things, including including Perk, which is now widely used across the industry, uh, and LGBC, um, Laser Groove Buried Contact, that BP um, uh, uh, bought the rights to and, and had ma- in, in manufacturing for some time. Uh, and, of course, you know, between Dr. Green and his university, pretty much every Chinese solar scientist ever has been trained there. Um, just wonderful to see that kind of recognition still coming back to Australia, despite, I might add, the fact that the uni, uh, particularly the uni UNSW, has lost most of its funding support. It's very, very tough in the in the unis, and I think um, I'm sure this uh, this prize that Dr. Green took um, is going to go straight back into the uni and, and help train more uh, brilliant kids. We got lots of PhD students uh, in our business who come straight out of UNSW and uh, really high caliber of people. So yeah, more power yeah. to them. Well done, Dr. Green. Absolutely, yeah. We shouldn't downplay their efforts in actually um, helping achieve the fantastic cost reductions we've seen over the last five or six years and the predictions of further. You know, I mean, um, I interviewed Martin Green last year, actually, and he was talking about one cent a kilowatt solar by um, the early 2020s or the mid-2020s. And, um, geez, you know, we're just looking at some of the contracts being done in the U.S. um, Mm. over the last couple of weeks in Nevada and Colorado. Um, and it's extraordinary, down to two cents a kilowatt, two, two cents a kilowatt hour in the US. Wow. Quite extraordinary. And um, wow. even, even adding storage is not much more expensive than that. So um, that's pretty good. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah. Sp- speaking of which, those predictions about the um, uh, where energy costs are going to be uh, were in the in the news this week with BP statistics, BP's statistical energy review. Every year they they release one. Um, it's a, a go to for anybody in the energy industry worldwide because it is very comprehensive. It's uh, pretty well respected. But this year they made a big mistake. They, um, they, uh, to quote the BP guys, they said, we don't pretend we haven't made this mistake, we have made this mistake, uh, saying that um, they've already had to go back and revise up the renewable energy growth forecast as a result. They simply uh, dramatically underestimated. In fact, every year for some time, BP has predicted a sudden slowdown in renewable energy growth, and it just hasn't been going that way. It's been going the opposite, and um, uh, BP have admitted um, this fairly major uh, mistake in their in their report. So good to see that even uh, BP now are um, catching up. And it's interesting, actually, I went to a, um, a presentation from Bloomberg New Energy Finance about electric vehicles um, yesterday. And um, electric vehicles, a bit like renewables, is important to the big oil industry because they don't want to scare the chickens or, or more importantly, scare their own investors with these really ambitious forecasts. So BP is actually one of the most um, optimistic forecasters. Um, their forecasts are one, one of the highest amongst all the big four. If actually something really depressing, you get an, 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 an sheer denial. You get, you get down to ExxonMobil and some of the other ones. Um, really quite extraordinary. But um, yes, I, th- I think um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to pretend it's not happening now, I think. <laughs> You'd have to just sit down with uh, Alan Jones and Craig Kelly if you wanted to take that view, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, Crap Solar, this is a weekly thing from us. Um, mm. Someone else has gone to liquidation. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, a couple. In fact, I didn't get a chance to update my notes to you, but a uh, small solar company in Queensland I saw on the liquidation register um, this morning. Yeah, they've been in the business 10 years. I didn't didn't know them personally, but um, yeah, pretty typical contracting slash solar company and, and clearly... Uh, they found it uh, too tough one way or the other and have gone. Um, but the, the interesting news was a big rec broker um, that had gone into liquidation. Uh, Renewable Energy Trade has closed a few months ago. I only picked up on it the other day, thanks to some of the guys on Crap Solar who posted the note. Um, uh, you know, Interestingly, this is a... This is a really interesting one because it affects not only uh, potentially end users, but it affects installers who were using them as trading uh, houses for their for their STCs. Um, so you know they may that may well have a cascading effect, and it shows that even the brokers, even in a gun market when everything's you know booming like it is at the moment, um, it's still entirely possible to go broke. And in fact, sometimes these are the times when it happens. Um, so um, not great not not great news, uh, and and a sign that we're still going through. You know, growing pains in this industry. Um, the other, uh, the other bit of crap solar news um, that came through this week was yet another inverter has been delisted. Uh, One Solar International uh, will come off the registry in three days, twenty-first, uh, due to non-compliance with AS four triple seven. They failed the passive anti-islanding test and harmonic distortions test. So, you know, um, again, shout out to the Clean Energy Council, and I actually bumped into. Um, Another solar veteran, uh, Sandy Polsford, who is uh, is working behind the scenes. He's been in the industry for more than 30 years, I think. And this is one of the things that he's involved in is, is the testing around uh, inverters and panels and various things. And, uh, you know, good on them for beavering away and picking up uh, inadequate products. Absolutely, and it's quite important. Um, I mean, that standard was actually brought in with an intention to make sure that inverters could do the job that they're advertised to do and um, ensure that rooftop solar was not the problem that some people claim it would um, would be. So um, if those products are not meeting standards, then out you go. Yep, 
and yeah. and you know, shout out to him because it's a it's a really hard job. It's a really really hard job. It is tedious. It is often boring. It's about reading standards. It's about going through you know really really rigorous and detailed testing. And of course, there are a lot of products on the market to go after, and a lot of correspondence and everything else that goes around with that. So, you know, they there are a lot of good people in all parts of the industry, including the CEC. Um, they cop a bit of flack from some of the installers out there, but um, you know this is a great example of good work that they're doing. Um, and um, you know this a lot of people down there who really care so good on them another thing that we saw last week um was in the last week was a new book from finn peacock from solar quotes the good solar guide um have you had a chance to look at it i have i've uh, i've read most of it now um i was lucky enough to go down to the launch as well i got an invite and um a very cold morning in adelaide but um really nice launch event uh, you know who's who of, indus- of, of, of the solar industry down there, um, and, and a terrific panel. Um, the way they approached the launch was was to have a little panel presentation, and ask about half a dozen really good, well thought out questions, and then you know uh, seek responses from this panel, including Finn and um, uh, a number of other local industry celebrities. And um, it's a really really nice event. The book is is a really really nice uh, guide. To, for designed for consumers, um, full of simple practical tips based on ten years of experience in his industry. Um, as Finn highlighted, the reason, the main reason he wrote it was because he realised no one else had done it. There isn't a book that a consumer can go and buy and, you know, not spend a lot of dough on, but make a little investment in buying a, a book and then sit down and go through the nitty gritty detail of what you really, really should do. Um, uh, so really worth anyone who's considering solar um, get online it was actually a bestseller on Amazon last week believe it or not is that right uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so yeah he, he it's, shot it's up the it's remarkable that no one's actually done that in, um, it is yeah. remarkable yeah. it is remarkable and it, it, it is really nicely put together and well structured um um, for uh, for potential solar analytics customers, you never know. There might be some uh, some free giveaways of that book coming shortly. We're waiting on a delivery, and we're we're very keen to support Finn in his good work. So we bought a bunch of books that we'll uh, we'll do a little a little thing with shortly. We might have to have Finn on for a brief cameo next week or in, oh. in the ne- in the next podcast. Well, he's he was he's been all over the press. He was Has on, he? I know. He was on the <laughs> ABC radio last week. You know, so it's about time he you know moved up a notch to uh, you know. Where that's right, <laughs> yes. Meet the professionals. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, you've got something here about new the supercomputer summit, 60% faster than the previous. Um, look, I'm, I'm not really too sure what you're talking about here. <laughs> Tell the listeners why this is important, why this is exciting for a solar podcast. Well, ones and zeros, Giles, ones and zeros. Whether we're talking about demand reduction, whether we're talking about frequency services, whether we're talking about how to manage... Um, uh, residential storage, all these topics that we've all talked about, they all require processing of data. And so um, I watch um, very, very closely now what's going on in um, the computing space because the faster and cheaper we can process data, the more we can do and the cheaper all this equipment will become. Um, so there was a new supercomputer launch. There was some records, and I talked about this, I think, in one of the very first podcasts we did. Um, there was some um, uh, reference that I had to, you know, where computing power is at now. Um, uh, the new Summit computer that was launched in the US recently is 60% faster than the previous version. Um, it's a 200 petaflop machine meaning now, it can put hang on I'm going to stop you there a petaflop a petaflop sorry I thought yeah. that was a diving thing no and they go bigger than that but we won't go there but what it means Giles is it can do tw- get this 
20 quadrillion calculations per second or 200 million billion calculations per second. Uh, great um, example of what that means. Uh, if every human on earth tried to do that calculation, it would require 63 billion years of human computing power to do what it can do in a single second, right? Really, really fast. It's unbelievable. Um, interestingly, though, it, it's fairly power hungry. It needs 13 megawatts to run and 5,000 litres of water to cool it. So it's a beast. Um, but really okay. cool to see computing power um, accelerating away. And there's already talk about what the next one will be. So, yeah, computing power um, is, is intrinsic to energy because it's all about data flows, right? Amazing, amazing. It makes me think about how quickly I could actually get um, Renew Economy newsletter together um, with one of those computers. It'll probably only take about half a minute, if that, or maybe two seconds. It's already done. Uh, I don't think I've got enough solar on the roof that to power that computer, but um, I'm sure right. you guys can cut Especially, me a deal. You're going to need to speak to Anne about the heating bill. We were looking at your place before, and uh, it's, it's not pretty up there. It must be cold, right? Well, I think we forgot to, to press economy on the, on the switch there, but um, yeah, it is bitterly cold, and... Um, even worse than that, we were, at, we were without water for two days because the pump decided to pack it in. So, oh, um, look, we've been doing it tough. Correct. Yeah. Mate, let's move on to electric vehicles because um, mm. that's, all the, that's all the show at the moment. Um, and it's interesting um, going down to see um, Bloomberg New Energy Finance and their um, annual EV outlook in Sydney yesterday. And uh, mm. what really struck me, actually, was the interest from all the different... Um, people there from the grid operators and from the banks and from some of the other interest the 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 infrastructure network providers and the other aggregators and it was fascinating sort of talking about the outlook for evs which um bloomberg sort of say by 2035 or 2040 it'll be 60 percent now 40 percent of the fleet will be evs um Mm -hmm. or hybrid and 60 percent of new sales will be um, EV or hybrid. I actually reckon that's underdoing it a bit. I reckon the transition is going to be bigger than that. But what well, they did say was that with all those batter- with all those cars there, that's actually going to provide a battery storage resource of 350 gigawatt hours, which is um, probably about the same size as Snowy 2.0, uh, but mobile, <laughs> distributed, yeah. and possibly aggregated. And it doesn't need to be sort of. It doesn't need to sort of have to sort of run every day to make money. It can just be there when needed. Just a different way completely. Of thinking about the future energy system it's it's quite remarkable isn't it and and i mean if we've learned anything by the by the bp statistical review and every other forecast around solar and renewables in general going back in time and i think exactly the same rules are going to apply for for the ev space it's that whatever you forecast you're going to be low it's going to happen faster and it's going to happen um uh, it's going to become cheaper uh, than everyone expected, um, uh, sooner than everyone expects. So, um, you know, it's great to hear the interest level going up. And, you know, it's still early days, especially here in Australia, where, you know, there's, there's no incentives at all. Um, so, well, that's um, right, yeah. Mm, and, mm. and one of the keys to their forecast was about talking about the sort of the price of batteries. And their prediction mm. was that the batteries would get down to about, they've already come down from, say, $1,000 a kilowatt hour, um, to about $270 a kilowatt hour, I think it is, um, mm-hmm. in 2017. Mm-hmm. The prediction would get to about $100 a kilowatt hour by 2025. But oh, I think what? you've noted that Tesla's <laughs> going to say they're going to do that in two years' time. Yeah. In, in, no, end of this year. 
end oh, of this okay. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they're saying they'll be there by the end of this year. That was in one of his um, one of his calls just the other week. Um, and interestingly, that's just the battery. And this is where it does get confusing because there's the battery component and then there's the full built pack. And of course, when we're talking stationary, we're talking inverters and other equipment that needs to go in it as well. So, you know, there's a big difference between just the cells um, and a, a complete solution depending on what you're trying to do. But they're saying they'll be at $100 a kilowatt hour for their fully built pack within two years. Now, you know, um, they're good at um, uh, talking it up, um, but, you know, the trajectory that they've got is is pretty clear. Interestingly, they're also talking about 30% more energy density, um, which means more 30% more energy in the same space, which is really critical for the electric vehicle space. And if they get to $100 a kilowatt hour for a full pack with 30% more density, then what that does is it 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 actually um, uh, validates all his claims around his semi-trailer, which everyone was pulling to pieces. And, and I saw a great story the other day that said, well, hang on, if he does get there at that price with that energy density, then the semi actually stacks up. It works. Yeah, so very, very interesting. The, and then we can call the death of a hydrogen vehicle, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably right. We're also seeing other stuff. Uh, GM um, is currently using cells from LG Cam and uh, and and the Chevy Bolt EV. They're at around 145 dollars a kilowatt hour. So there's another uh, kind of benchmark there to suggest that you know 100 bucks uh, by the end of the year is entirely possible. Uh, Audi says it's buying batteries at 114 per kilowatt hour for its up- upcoming uh, e-tron Quattro. Um, so you know 100 bucks, very very real. So there you go. We're we're already ahead of. Um, ahead of the curve um on the flip side though what is interesting um is that despite all the positivity and everything else that's going on um tesla laid off almost four thousand employees the other week i read yeah i thought it was actually more than that i thought it might have been oh maybe it was nine percent i was going to say nine thousand but maybe it was just um nine percent of the workforce which would mm. equate to about four four thousand yeah big restructuring there i didn't actually sort of go deep into that to find out what happened um but clearly they've got to i think he needs to deliver a profit in the second half this year he's either going to do that by cutting costs or lifting production of the model three right because he doesn't want to go back to the markets and ask for more money mm. particularly after the way he treated the bankers at and his most recent um, earnings call. And um, look, I can understand his frustration, but... um Mm. Um, yes, trying times, very interesting. Trying, trying times, times. And, yeah. and, and you know, I mean, good on them. They're, they've changed the way they're, they're um, selling, and, and you know, the word on the street locally is that um, you know, Powerwall deliveries are, are pushing out yet again, which kind of makes sense because if they're trying to get cars out the door, then if, you know, if you're going to get a hundred and something thousand bucks for a car, um, why would you put them in a ten or a twelve thousand dollar Powerwall, right? So, bad news for consumers waiting for Powerwalls, um, uh, particularly locally where there's a lot of demand, but. Um, uh, you know, I think we've got to watch carefully there um, and, yeah. and see where that goes. It was interesting, actually, at the Bloomberg uh, New Energy Finance um, thing and what they were forecasting for the various models. And they were, sort of make, they were saying that, you know, they're they they expecting the sales to increase from about 2,500 a year this year, which is what they expect, to about 24,000 within four years, which is pretty dramatic growth, mm. um, a tenfold increase. But um, And one of the reasons for that was going to be the availability of more models. Mm-hmm. And they pointed to a whole bunch that would come here in 2019. Interestingly, according to BNEF or Bloomberg, they didn't think that the Tesla 3 was going to get here till 2020. Wow. Which means go. my Peugeot is going to be on about 250,000 <laughs> kilometres by the time <laughs> we get there. So um, yeah, fingers out, crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just looking at that side through the window at the moment. It's got the surfboard on top, so maybe I might have to sort of flip the flip it. 
<laughs> put the Peugeot on top of the surfboard to make sure it's still sort of running. Oh, dear. Now, um, look, another one you've got down here is really interesting. This is about zero motorcycles and following yes. the Tesla model for distribution and sales. Tell us mm. about it. Mm. So this is a really interesting one because I've personally written to the CEO of, of Tesla numerous times saying, I don't get it. Tesla when I talk, or zero? I beg your pardon, uh, zero. Um, <laughs> there have been a few CEOs since I've been an owner and uh, I've met with a couple of them and chatted with a couple of them over the years and I keep saying to them, I don't get it. It's not working for dealers and here's why. They don't get any spare part sales. They don't get any support or, or um, uh, maintenance work. Um, they don't get much servicing work, if any. And um, yet the margins on the vehicle are similar to uh, ice bikes. And and so I've been suggesting for ages that I, I, they need a different way to make this work or else the dealers are never going to get behind it. And sure enough, that's exactly what we've seen happen here in Australia and indeed in other countries. There's just not enough money in it for the support that's required. So to see them now taking the first step, now it's kind of, the announcement's really interesting because it kind of talks about it being Tesla-ish and, and like a direct dealership. Um, however, it appears that it's a deal, it's an exclusive dealer franchise. So they basically convinced the dealer to go exclusively zero and presumably they're gonna support them. Um, the great thing about this is they're trying something different and, and that's what I commend them for. Um, clearly what, was work, what, was, what they were doing before wasn't working um, for everybody and they need to find another way if they're going to survive. They're still very, very dominant in the space and doing a great job and survive for ages. Um, but, you know, the market's changing and people want more. They want better service. And um, so this will be one to watch because if this is successful, then presumably they'll roll it out um, around, <coughs> around the rest of the world. That's really interesting, actually, that problem with the, with the, with the dealer networks, because we, wrote a, we had a story a couple of weeks ago, um, Sophie wrote this wonderful story about the impediments to uh, electric vehicle sales, mm. and it was exactly that. It was just it basically is. that um, car salesmen don't want to sell EVs for the very reason that you pointed out. Um, there's no after-sales service, there's no nope. extra parts, there's no nope. nothing. Nope. Um, quite extraordinary, and that's one of the reasons why um, Tesla actually went out and did that. And It was it interesting, is. the reaction from the readers, and there were so many stories about people want going in to a Nissan store or something else and sort of saying, I'm really interested in electric vehicles and being told by the salesman, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. No, 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 yeah. take me out of the back. Show me where the electric vehicle is. No, 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 no. You don't want one of them. <laughs> I, had a, I, had a, I had a friend turn up on his Zero on Saturday, actually, and he had a mate with him on a BMW and uh, he was very interested to see mine and he said, I was going to buy one and uh, I only bought this a little while ago. I went into the dealership. Uh, and he said, I just walked out in disgust because the guy ref pretty much just tried to talk me out of buying a Zero. He had one there. I wanted to buy it. And instead, I ended up with a BMW. Um, uh, so he said, you know, this is a, yeah, it's a big issue. And, and, you know, rethinking how these machines are sold or how they're priced or structured and everything else is, is you know, that's going to be the key to opening this market up because, Consumers are just consumers, right? It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. You want service, you want sport, you want a reasonable price, and you want dealers who know how to sell them and want to. Absolutely, absolutely. Can we, keep, can we keep talking about bikes? Have we got time? Oh, we've got just, just, just a little bit more. Um, I'm, I'm just an apology to readers. They might have heard some heavy breathing in the background there, and that's because Ash the dog has just sat down next to me and, decide, and just announced it's dinner time. <laughs> and, um, and we've got this new mic, and it seems to pick up all this other noise. So if you can hear some deep breathing in the background, that, that, that's Ash. But, yeah, let's quickly wrap up, Nigel. What, what Good clarification. Well, uh, just a quick follow-up. We mentioned the Isle of Man last week. Um, great new records um, set there. And uh, I managed to have a fantastic 40 
45 minute chat with the uh, team that came in second. Um, uh, we only talk to winners here, Nigel. Well, you know, the Yuan team, bless them, they're about to be a big, big winner. And in my books, they are the winners because they're a university team. The team who won, multi million dollar outfit, uh, very closely connected with Honda, the Mugen Shinden team. I mean, stunning effort, right? But it's the upper echelons of motorsport with multi-million dollar budgets. The Yuan team, however, who I managed to speak to the team manager, and a fascinating story that I've written, hopefully you might publish that soon, soon, Giles, um, about what the team went through. Um, And um, they're actually lining up. They're uh, lined up right now, uh, have been practicing to do the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, which is the second most deadly race in the world after the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man is the most deadly and Pikes Peak is next. Um, it, It goes up to some ridiculous elevation on a, on a really deadly road with like 150 turns and it is a brutal, brutal test of man and machine, much like the Isle of Man. Um, but the Yuan team pulled their bike to pieces, uh, shipped it across to the US um, and have been madly reassembling it and test riding uh, over the last couple of days. I've been following them closely on social media. And um, just to put it in context, this, this university team have done a stunning job. Only a few years in, um, uh, their motor now um, weighs perhaps twice what the motor in my zero electric motorcycle weighs. And yet, um, my motor puts out about 45 kilowatts and theirs puts out 200 kilowatts. So about four times the power for a bit over double the weight, uh, which is astounding. Mine puts out 81 foot-pounds. Theirs puts out 350 foot-pounds of torque, um, which, you know, 200 kilowatts and 350 foot-pounds. The challenge they described to me was making that amount of power manageable for a rider. You know, with that amount of torque on tap, it is a serious, serious machine. So um, really exciting news. And, and you know, um, good luck to the Yuan team. I hope they, they, they're they placed very, very well to maybe win the entire motorcycle class at Pikes Peak in the next few days. So we'll be watching real carefully. Great, great evolution. And you can read that blog on Renew Economy um, by the time you hear this podcast. So um, there ah, you go. You yes. can catch up with Thanks. some more details. Go, Nigel. <laughs> Mate, we're going to have to wrap up there. I'm getting the wind up from the producer, and I think it's probably time. Um, Ash the dog has um, put in another complaint um, for modification for dinner. So, look, um, Nigel, thanks to you. Um, thanks for our sponsors, Solar Analytics and PV Cell and SunWiz. And um, we'll come back again in a fortnight. What do you reckon? Talk in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Good on you, mate. Thanks very much, and thanks for the listeners. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Sunwiz, makers of PV cell software that gives retailers the tools to stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy.